Podcasting. The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon, live from the Sportsbook and Wild Rose Studio. This is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. As we said at the beginning of the show, real potpourri uh, here on a Tuesday. We're going to do some NFL. We're going to do some bracketology. Zuba Mahente is coming up. But baseball analytics front and center right now. Mark A. Simon is where you can uh, find our next guest on Twitter. He's Mark Simon. SportsInfoSolutions.com. We get him a couple of times a year as we go inside analytics. Uh, and he joins us for the first time this season. Of course, you can read uh, Mark at The Athletic for Trent and I, who are subscribers uh, we highly recommend that site uh, it is a terrific stop for all sports fans uh mark trenton ken in des moines thanks for coming on how are you mark simon hi i'm good i'm live from uh, northeastern pennsylvania nice and we appreciate you coming on here today well let's talk about your uh, your latest endeavor the fielding bible i think it's volume five that's now out. we'll get into some analytics and um, you know, the one of the most prevalent thing that jumps off an, to a non-analytical person like myself, right? I'm watching baseball and I'm seeing more shifts in baseball than I've ever seen and we've ever seen. Uh, there was some talk about maybe taking that out of the game. What is your What do analytics tell you uh, pursuant to the shift in baseball? Who's responsible for it? Is there one team you can pinpoint? And do you think it's going away, or will baseball try and mandate that it goes away? Long and comprehensive question. Long and comprehensive answer coming, hopefully. Uh, defensive shifts, I think, are here to stay. I think that if you tried to ban it, I think there would be enough teams now that would say, don't do that, because shifting is up. Uh, to a level where you're seeing it from everyone just about um, multiple and sometimes in some cases dozens of times a game. If you watch the Rays or the Astros or uh, some of the teams that are the most frequent users of it, uh, I was quoting a stat last night that two years ago the Royals finished ninth in terms of how often they use shifts, and they used shifts about the same amount the following season last year, uh, and they ranked 21st. So everyone mm. is kind of jumping on board uh, with them. Uh, do they work? Uh, our studies indicate that uh, if you evaluate it from the perspective of what you want the shift to do, which is to essentially have your cutoff ground balls and line drives, uh, we think that they do. Now, uh, now could it be better? Uh, it probably could be better if there were, uh, I guess, if uh, usage was maybe uh, a little bit smarter, I guess, so to speak, and we have some stuff on that in the book. Uh, but I think the, the, the easiest way to think of it, like, is you're almost putting, like, a fifth infielder in the field by moving a, uh, your guys over to spots where you think that the ball is most likely to be hit. And who wouldn't want a, a fifth guy on in the infield, uh, essentially, at all times, uh, if they're executing it right? Another component that is incredibly interesting to me is pitch framing, what the guys do back behind the plate. It has become such a huge part of the game. And for years and years and years and years, it was about, well, get a guy, get a catcher, throw a guy out. Now that component is so small because stolen bases and stolen base attempts are down, coupled with what we see on that side of it. You don't have to have a strong arm anymore to be a great catcher. 
if he can frame pitches. What have you guys done inside of analytics to measure that? And is that something that a catcher can learn over the course of their career? Uh, I'm glad you asked the second part of that question because it plays into one of your teams. Um, So what we've, uh, I guess, established is that it is something that is valuable, at least for now, while we don't have uh, robot umps, because you're potentially impacting um, dozens of of pitches in a game. If you can get some close calls, uh, you can make a difference for your pitcher. Just, uh, Just watching anecdotally, uh, I'm sure there are you know a couple of times a game where you're saying, "Wow, the catcher got that one for him." Now, what we do with our pitch framing system, so to speak, is that we look from the perspective of both the catcher, the umpire, and the umpire is certainly really important there. The pitcher and the batter, and the pitcher and the batter play small roles uh, in this. Maybe some pitchers get more calls than others. Uh, Kershaw might be one, um, but umpire-wise, if you have like Bill Miller behind the plate, he's a, a longtime umpire. Uh, he calls a vastly different game and a much bigger strike zone than Joe West, for example. Mm-hmm. So uh, you have to consider when a catcher is behind the plate who the umpire is, too. Now, with regards to can you improve at it, a number of catchers have shown that they can, including Mitch Garver of the Twins. He worked with Tanner Swanson last year. Yankees actually stole uh, Tanner uh, and hired him away from the Twins <laughs> for this coming season. Uh, but Garver went from being one of the worst pitch framers in the game to being, I guess, uh, average to slightly above. Uh, and there are certain skills that can be taught with regards particularly to sticking that low pitch. Uh, and the book actually includes some talk about that from Austin Hedges, the catcher from the Padres, who's the, the best uh, in baseball at pitch framing. So it's important. If it goes away, it's going to change a lot of catcher values. Uh, and uh, I think that, that it's an important part of the game. Is there a team that you can identify, or a couple of teams maybe, that were maybe slow to come around to the analytics as far as front office people? Because seemingly now uh, general managers or or um, executives with Major League Baseball teams, and I'm talking about the top of the chain, are, are being hired because in part of their analytical background. Were there teams that were just, for whatever re- reason, reluctant uh, to get to the here and now and make this a big part of what they do on a daily basis? Yeah, I think that you could cite um, a situation like the Orioles for that um, with Dan Duquette and Buck Showalter in their previous administration. If you look at the, who they hired to replace Duquette, Mike Elias, who was with the Astros, they took someone from a uh, essentially a completely analytically-minded organization and brought him in. Uh, there was a feeling that the Orioles analytics department was a little unsophisticated. Uh, so that's an example. We're trying to build that up now, and as you can see, they're not. Uh, they're a team that's at the bottom, uh, and they're, they have nowhere to go but up. Uh, the Marlins were that way, I think, for a bit. Uh, I think under Derek Jeter uh, and uh, other owners that they have, that they have adjusted that. They certainly became much more open-minded to the defensive shifts uh, last year. But I think we're to a point where just about every ownership group is now on board with it in a big way because they can see that with a, that with certain teams. Um, say what you want about Houston, but Houston and their analytics. Uh, the the athletics and uh, what what they're able to do. The Dodgers, admittedly with money, what they're able to do. Um, and Tampa Bay, I think, is a great example. Uh, those teams are able to uh, win games. And in the end, that's what I think it's about for a lot of these teams. And they see that it can help them win. 
they're going to get on board with it. You know, knowing what you know now, since you, since we since you brought up the Astros or the the Red Sox or or whoever, could you go back to the years that are in question, two thousand seventeen, two thousand eighteen, and if you were so inclined, could you pinpoint? Aha! This is where things started here, and this is where they got crazy out of line in this instance. <laughs> could you go back, Mark, and 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 pinpoint that if you wanted to? Uh, all right, so we haven't done anything in that regard, but I think enough other people have, have looked at this thing uh, and scrutinized it pretty closely. There is a website where uh, a guy has documented all of the trash can banks, and you can see the peaks and the valleys for that. Uh, and I think you could you could probably pinpoint it uh, pretty well there. We work for teams uh, for the most part in terms of we, we sell teams and provide uh, analytic data to them. So we haven't done any uh, formal investigations on any teams, uh, I guess, cheating or lack thereof. I guess that would be the safest way to, to put it. You know, as you go through this, it has certainly created a whole lot more buzz throughout this spring training on a national level. This is a time where, outside of big baseball fans, you just don't hear a lot of conversation in the national media. But that has changed. In a way, has this been a good thing for Major League Baseball? Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> <laughs> I hate talking about it. I hate. I hate the the listening to it. I, I, maybe it's because I, I kind of drown in it. Um, but yeah, has it been a good thing? I, I guess it, it really tests the idea of all publicity is good publicity. I don't think it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's an annoyance to me, uh, and my fear has all along been, uh, boy, this could get worse. Wow. Interesting. Mark Simon is our guest. Uh, uh, Mark A. Simon is where you can follow him on Twitter. His latest book is The Fielding Bible. Uh, as he joins Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 Kicks and 0106.3 FM. Mark, my last thing for you. It, it seems to me, listening to you over the last couple of years and now sports wagering, I think it's in 21 states. I, I think if you're a gambler and you like to bet baseball, uh, I think you'd be doing yourself a disservice if you didn't incorporate analytics uh, into your mindset before, you know, getting on your phone and placing that wager or going to your casino or wherever uh, and, and firing on MLB. Analytics, how big of an edge do you think it is for the sports better out there? And are you seeing some gravitate towards you guys? So I know that with daily fantasy uh, in particular that it comes into play. Uh, and we actually have a uh, thing, sisbets.com, uh, that evaluates um, probabilities on certain things. And you can kind of pick your lineup using uh, various tools uh, that are there. And I think that's where it, it probably uh, comes into play the most. Uh, and I think it is a good idea to take a look at, at things like that because when you when you look at something like that, you want to look at ballpark factors and weather conditions and the kind of the ancillary things that go beyond the pitcher batter matchups. Uh, so I think that uh, I think that that's something that is uh, worth doing. And I, as you said, it's, it's something that seems to be growing. Quick hits on the Midwest teams before we let you go, Mark, and uh, let's start with the biggest team in our market, the Chicago Cubs. Your thoughts, just an overall view of the Cubs going into 2020. 
Yeah, I think the NL Central is anybody's guess. I think that four teams could win it. I think the Pirates are the only team that couldn't. Uh, I could see a scenario where Chris Bryant has a, a pretty big year, uh, kind of out of frustration uh, that built up from losing that grievance. Uh, I think that you can count on Rizzo to be really good. Uh, and I guess my question with them would be John Lester uh, and his mm. struggles last season. I see a guy with a four and a half year, right? Uh, or is he going to pitch to a low three ZLA? And can you Darvish repeat what he did at the end of the season? Because he was really good for about a 10-start, 12-start stretch. Uh, but can he do that over 31, uh, 32 starts? Let's stay in the NL Central and go to St. Louis with the Cardinals. So the analytics community seems to be a little down on them. I'm not uh, really? as sure that that's necessarily a good idea. I know that they lost to Zuna, but they returned uh, the, rest of their, the rest of their team. And I think the rest of their team's pretty good. I think Flaherty could win Cy Young. Uh, I think that their pitching staff is uh, good enough. Uh, their bullpen has shown to be very good in the past, so it wouldn't surprise me if they were good. Uh, and I think that their defense uh, is very stellar, particularly in the middle infield uh, with Colton Long. And as noted in our book, uh, Paul Goldschmidt, uh, not Paul Goldschmidt, uh, Paul DeYoung, mm-hmm. uh, much better than I think people would think he is. And we save the best for last, the Minnesota Twins. I knew you were going to get to them eventually. <laughs> they are probably the best team in the AL Central right now, as they were last year. The White Sox tried to gain ground, but uh, it's a big gap from where the White Sox were to where the Twins were last year, and I don't think that they closed that yet. The lineup should hit 250 home runs. Yes, I, I think that that's uh, fair for them, a fair expectation. My concern would be how well Miguel adapts to first base and how Santa Maeda adapts to the American League. Uh, if both of those things are solid, I think you have a pretty good team that unfortunately will probably be a distinct underdog if it faces the Yankees. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in October. Yeah, you're in your own. <laughs> Another long year for the Royals, Mark? Uh, yes, I think a long year for the Royals. But I think the good thing for them is that there's help on the way. Good. In all those, they, they drafted all those college pitchers, um, not this past year, but the year before. Um, and loaded up on that, and I think you should see the fruits of that. I think some of those guys will come up uh, as the year progresses, and I think Mondesi, if he's healthy, uh, could be a budding star. Uh, and finally, the final local team in the market, the Toronto Blue Jays. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, I'm a Blue Jays fan. Okay, I tried to slip that no, one past No, this is fair. I, I actually do a spot with someone in Northern Ontario regularly. Nice. Uh, so they have, uh, they have a long ways to go. Uh, I don't uh, want to hear that. Re- they essentially they did do a good thing because Trent Thornton was going to be their opening day pitcher. If you had talked about them in November, now they've got four guys that are ahead of Thornton, so they added a lot there. Good. They, have, they have an interestingly high ceiling because of Vlad uh, Jr. and how good he can be at the ship, how good he can be, and Biggio and how good he can be, and even to an extent Gurriel and how good. They could win 70, 65 again. They could also be a surprise team and win uh, eighty to eighty-five if Guerrero hits like an MVP candidate, uh, which. Uh, maybe not realistic, but not uh, not a bad long shot to take if you're thinking about something like that. I will take it. Mark Simon, uh, SportsInfoSolutions.com. Always enjoy this. Thank you for the newest book, latest book, The Fielding Bible, volume number five. I appreciate you coming on, Mark. Thank you. You got it. Good to talk to you, Mark Simon, as we talk baseball. We'll get a timeout. We'll talk to Zubin Mahente around the world of sports as we continue on a Tuesday. Miller and Condon, 1460 KXNO, 106. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM.
Miller and Con, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. This from Dennis Dodd, CBS Sports. College football FBS attendance dips for the sixth straight year. Lowest since 1996. Whoa. What's behind that? It's up in the Big 12, one of the few conferences that actually saw attendance increase, but uh, overall lowest since 1996. Lots of topics to get to with our guy Zubin Mahente as we go around the world of sports. Zubin, Trent, and Ken, thanks for coming on. Zubin, what do you attribute the um, college football attendance going the wrong way, lowest since 1996? What's behind it, Zubin? Yeah, I think there's a multitude of factors. I think the first thing is sometimes it's just an anecdotal example. You know, you'll see a couple times a year Nick Saban scold the student body at Alabama for leaving a game early when I think he should probably be praising them for showing up at all. It's one of those sorts of situations. Um, Obviously, stadiums have tried to do everything to get young people to get in there. They've tried to rewire the stadium for Wi-Fi, knowing that people can't live without their phones really now of all ages. Um, television is also hurting. There's a lot of games that are starting at 8 o'clock at night that used to start at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And if you're living out, let's say, in the Pacific Northwest, uh, you know, let's say, let's take out SEC country because the weather is generally good. But if you're living here in the Northeast or you're living and trying to get from Polk County, Iowa to Johnson County, Iowa, and it's 15 degrees outside and it's a big game and you got to have a four-hour commute and you got to do that maybe two or three times a year if you're a Washington State fan, and your games aren't at 10.30 on Pac-12 or ESPN, and you've got to travel more than 100 miles. A lot of these schools have their fans travel from way further distances than just, say, going from you know Des Moines to Ames or something like that. Most fans are traveling a whole lot more than that. Then you've got to do the return flight or return drive in the middle of the night, and then you have the appetizing absence on TV. So I think a lot of it is less desirable start times on TV, which makes it a lot less palatable to go to the games. And the fact that going to the games isn't nearly as fun as sitting home and watching them. And it's important to note, like you said, the Big 12 might be up a little bit. But if the bellwether conferences that really carry the sport are down, it's something to really take a look at. But I believe a lot of it has to do not just with the better quality of TV and everything you've got in front of it, but just the fact that TV is reworking start times that are less desirable to fans. Now, you could say, look, it's only five, six times a year. You love the team. You went there. It's part of your DNA. But there's just a lot of other factors that everything in life today is about making things easier. While I'm talking to you, I could order Uber Eats and grab anything <laughs> from know. Amazon, and it'll be at my house by the end of the day. Right. When you're making things that easy for people in every part of their lives, and you're making going to a game more difficult or less fun, it's pretty obvious why I think attendance is down. And getting young people to go to anything is a lot more challenging than it used to be. Attendance uh, might not be a factor for the NCAA basketball Yeesh. tournament because there might not be anybody inside the buildings. It's happening at the D3 level as their tournament is beginning here. Zubin, San Jose out. Sharks are not uh, letting fans into their next home game. The San Jose, now, f- for, if you're a Sharks fan, you're, this is probably a good thing because they stink. Okay. And I'm making light in a bad time, obviously. But to your point, Trent, it's coming. It's coming. It's happening across the country here. The Ivy League has now canceled their conference tournament. Zubin, help us out. This is colliding, this big worldwide story now with our world of sports. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously an unprecedented story. There is no vaccine. There doesn't seem to be a level of containment. So obviously every day you're going to see something from closed-off locker rooms to the Sharks to the Ivy League canceling their tournament. 
Uh, the two biggest stars in the world, Messi and Ronaldo, are playing in La Liga, yes. and they're playing in front of empty stadiums. The biggest clubs in France, the biggest clubs in Germany are doing the same thing. And if they're able to do it, I certainly think it's going to trickle down into American sports. So if you really think about it, the most watched sporting matches in the world featuring those two guys are being played in front of an empty stadium. So I think it's certainly there. A couple things you have to keep in mind, Ken, you mentioned with the Sharks, you know, less than two hours away. Now, this is more of a county decision. Santa Clara County has essentially said this, and that supersedes anything, obviously, the SAP Center or the Sharks would do. But less than two hours away from Santa Clara County is Sacramento County, and that's where the first and second round of the NCAA mm. tournament is scheduled to be played at the Golden One Center, the home of the Sacramento Kings. And Again, totally different county, Sacramento County, Santa Clara County. But if you look at it and say, you know, look, there's less than two hours difference. If you look at Dan Gavitt, I'm watching the game Sunday on CBS. He comes out and says, right now everything's a go. The fact that he had to come out and say that does say something. And so I think this is one of those situations where you just have to play it by ear. The NBA has said, you know, look, no fist bumps, no, uh, no autographs, no handshakes. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've taken extreme measures. And I think this is one of those situations where because it's unprecedented and you don't know how far it's going to go, I think this is probably the best thing to do. I think you're going to get to a situation where people are going to feel it on a macro and a micro level. The macro level is, you know, yesterday the market at its worst day since 2008. The market dipped 7%. Strong start today. It's fallen off again. But that may not affect me, you, or your listeners today outside of having some stocks. It doesn't impact you. When you walk into high V to buy something, the market being down 7% maybe doesn't impact you. But if you know somebody with the coronavirus, and you know there is no vaccine, and you know the person has to be quarantined, then it affects you on a micro level because now it's actually physically you know somebody, you can kind of feel the tangible effect. Right now, 60 million people are on quarantine in China, and all of Italy is essentially being shut down, but that just doesn't affect us sitting here. But once you have that personal connection to it like anything else, things tend to change. But uh, look, the extreme measure is something like this. This hasn't been talked about much, but... There could be a hole in the NCAA tournament. Let's say they can't play those games at the Golden One Center. And this is very extreme, but you can't rule anything out at this point. What if a team makes the tournament and then under some drastic health measures decides they're not going? I, I, see, I find that to be very unlikely, but that has to be taken into account. Then you've got a hole in the bracket, then you've got a hole in the venue, and then you've got all sorts of issues that people have never really thought about that are now at the forefront. I mean, it's it's going to it's going to affect the world of sports. Look, the demographic in horse racing is guys my age, right, sixty something. The first Saturday in May, there'll be one hundred and seventy. There would have been one hundred and seventy five thousand people the day before the Oaks Day, one hundred and fifty thousand. I mean, the Masters next month. The three words you're hearing a lot from leagues right now when their spokesman comes and they're asked that question: as of now. And keep those three words in mind, because as of now, it's uh, we're doing X, Y, and Z, but that doesn't mean tomorrow that we'll be doing X, Y, and Z. It's going to be fascinating to watch this, Zubin, uh, as uh, as the world of sports collides uh, with the, with this virus. Well, let's go. Let's get in fantasy land, and let's move the bad stuff to the side, if everybody's okay with that. And let's talk about the college basketball conference tournaments uh, that are unfolding now, and we'll assume with full arenas and uh, business as usual. Zubin, if you could only watch one over the years and you know we'll do that here and now if you if you're if you, you can only watch one of them but you got to watch this one start to finish what conference has your attention of all the conference tournaments knowing you're a Rutgers grad and they're good this year but you grew up in Big East country and that's always a terrific conference which one gets your attention over the others 
boy, it's funny you mention those two, Ken, because both of those leagues had tried champions, which is something that you don't see particularly often. I am really curious. I want to see how good Creighton really is, but that wouldn't make me want to you know, exclude any of the other conference tournaments because I think they're the one team that's out there that's playing some really great basketball that people haven't really thought about. You know, I think Trent and I had talked about this. You know, since seeding started, now prior to seeding, they had made it to a regional semifinal, but in 40 years of seeding, Creighton has never made the Sweet 16, which is pretty remarkable considering they've had Corver and Sturman, but they've still yet to make the second weekend in the, in the world of seeding. So I, that's a team I want to watch just because I'm not exactly sure how great they are. Now, the Zegarowski... Well, and, yeah, the Zegarowski news, that's a blow mm-hmm. zoom. Right. I mean, it, it remains to be seen exactly what's going to happen and how far they're going to be able to go without them or what they might have with them, what they might have without them. But that's just a very intriguing team. I think the Big Ten is the tournament to keep in mind, you know. I mean, this is one of those situations where they have a tri-champion. And you look at it and say, and I was discussing this with Trent on hold, how about this scenario for you? And I think you guys would love it. Selection Sunday, and I know obviously people have kind of put their votes in for player of the year, but it's still a little open if you wanted to think about it. How about Sunday, CBS, 1 o'clock, Atlantic 10 final, Barclays Center, Brooklyn. Mm. Show me what you got, <laughs> Obi Toppin. And then right when it's over, fingers crossed, if it happens, Luca Garza, Big Ten championship in. game. CBS, 3 o'clock, Eastern, 2 Central. <laughs> Show me what you got, mm-hmm. Luca Garza. Because I think the race is great, and I would love to see them both play in a respective conference final. It's been said a million times over, Garza has better numbers against better competition. But I would love to see, for a race that truly does feel like it's going down to the wire, to see one of them put a stamp It doesn't feel like Dayton can possibly lose or 18-0 in the league. But it would be great to see back-to-back Toppin and Garza, yes, especially if Toppin goes out and has a crazy game. And, All right, Luca, you need another 44 <laughs> like you had against Michigan, what you got. And then you go right into the selection show. I think that would just be so amazing for college basketball fans if something like that could happen this weekend. Zubin, and maybe we'll see him in the round of 32 opposite each other, but that's a conversation for another day. We'll have that Brack in front of us by Sunday evening. The Naismith Award, which is the, the Heisman Trophy, if you will, of college basketball. Do you have any idea how the how the voting is done for that? Is it a panel? Is it college writers across the country? Because seeing more and more kind of the national day-in, day-out college basketball people talking a lot about Luca Garza and the defensive deficiencies that he has, but... I don't think that's the only people that are making the votes here. I think it's more of a wide-ranging panel. I think that would maybe go back to advantage Luca Garza when you're talking about that player of the year race. Do you have any idea? Well, the fans get a little vote, do they not? One of how many? Is that what and it that's is? Yeah. The, the question of it. Do you know offhand what the what the voting goes like, though, for the Naismith? Well, for us, what we do, and I don't want to pump the company line, but I guess I'll pump the company line. <laughs> We're more affiliated with the John R. Wooden Award, so we, in a sense, consider that to be the player of the year when we're doing things on ESPN and that's been handed out since the seventies. And then uh, shortly thereafter uh, they've been handing out a women's uh, wooden award. So I don't exactly know how the Naismith goes just because everything that we do, that we pull people, we track people, there's a list of 50. It gets that, it gets cut down to a list of 25, everything we do to name the player of the year. Like when we have the college basketball awards, which is this year, I think is going to be Friday, April 10th on ESPN two. When we hand out the Player of the Year award, for our intents and purposes, for us it's the Wooden Award. So I don't know too much about the Naismiths because that's kind of the track we've taken. It's very similar to, you know, many, many people reference Ken Palm 
Mm-hmm. And ESPN uses their BPI, their basketball power index. It's just sort of the metric or the award we've chosen to go with. But I think if you look at it, I told you a couple weeks ago, LaFonso Ellis told me in the hallway the other day, slam dunk, run away, Luca Garza. <laughs> I think I saw Seth Davis yesterday say Luca Garza. I think a lot of people are looking at Garza. And you guys know this way better than I. I'm just going to spitball this, but you guys live this. Trent, I know you're a lifelong Hawks fan. I, well, I think one of the most remarkable things about Garza is that at the beginning of the year, now you just tell me if I'm wrong, I'm straight wrong, you just tell me. At the beginning of the year, if you were to ask a diehard Iowa fan, who is the best player on Iowa? Never mind the Big Ten of the country. I don't think people would say Luca Garza. No, Joe Wieskamp. Jordan Bohannon. Well, if he was going to play the whole year, but yeah, right. And yet it's Luca Garza in, in running for this one. and That's an excellent point, Zubin. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, one thing that we also forgot about, at least I did, coming into the year, right before he had a nice sophomore season. We know what he can do offensively, playing there with Tyler Cook. But he had a nine-pound cyst removed from his abdomen right before the year last year. And you wonder, boy, how debilitating that was for him a year ago, and just how good he's been this year. I will tell you this. That adds to the story, and I'm glad you brought that up, Trent, because we did a thing on SportsCenter with him a couple weeks ago when they played Michigan State where we had mentioned the cyst and, his, and let the peacock fly and the impact of his father and all these things that you know, I follow because I used to work there uh, and a lot of other people across the country just maybe aren't paying attention to Garza since so many people were paying attention to Winston and the, the year Lamar has had at Penn State. But a lot of this award goes into whether it's Naismith or whether it's any award, it's the story. And Garza's story is amazing with the cyst, the comeback, the toughness, the losing of the tooth, everything you want to say that gets wrapped up. But Toppin's got a great story, too. You know, zero-star recruit, nobody wanted him. Just that word, zero-star recruit, that phrase, makes the story so much better. And sometimes in sports, things are dominated by stories. Don't look any further than the NBA. You've got a 17-year vet who's 35 years old, is playing point guard for the Lakers, and over the weekend, they beat the Bucks and the Clippers. I don't know if LeBron is having a better year than Giannis or maybe even Luka Doncic, but I know LeBron's story is better than John, Giannis is right now and Luka's right now, and that might carry him to the MVP. It could be a well-deserved award. He could actually lead the league in assists, which is one thing mm-hmm. that's still on the checkmark list that he hasn't done, and to do it 17 years into the league at an unnatural position would be unbelievable, but that's a great story. And so if people can latch onto that story, they can vote for James. If you latch onto the nine-pound assist, which is an amazing comeback, you could do that. If you latch on to the fact that Obi Toppin was a zero-star recruit and had an Anthony Davis-type growth spurt, and by then it was too late, he had committed to Dayton, and he's going through the legs on dunks on national television. Sometimes the story dictates exactly who wins these types of an award. So I think you can make the story for Garza. You could probably make a little better story for Toppin. Um, but sometimes the stats are there, and you can't doubt Lucas' stats. Um, but sometimes it's the story, and I think you're seeing that in the NBA and I think you're seeing that in college basketball. The Kurt Warner story. Stories just tend to sway people when people are on the fence about this. The story in sports over the last four weeks seems to me like it's kind of calmed down a little bit. Have we forgot about the Astros? Is it is the shelf life is uh, uh, has is this expired, Zubin? I mean, I, I get that it's called we're all college basketball crazy right now, and you know maybe the virus is 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 taking some of our uh, brave uh, length or brain length away from us. I I don't know, but it seems like the Astros story has died down. Do you notice it? For sure, I think it's died down. I also think though it's going to creep back up. If I'm not mistaken, I don't think they're even coming to New York until September. So this what? is one of those long slog 
types of stories. I also think that at this particular juncture, you know, booing the Astros is fun. And, you know, seeing the guy in the crowd that says, I had a better sign, but the Astros stole it. You know, when you see all these little fun <laughs> things, um, you realize just the stakes just aren't there. It's spring training. You want to get your pound of flesh. It's your first opportunity to get a pound of flesh just because of the timing of the story, juxtaposed to spring training. But I think after a while, people are like, if I'm going to go out there and actively boo these guys and buy a ticket when they come to town and tell them what I really think, I'm going to do it when it actually matters. Don't get me wrong. We were going crazy on SportsCenter and ESPN talking to fans every day when the Astros first started playing. But then I think we came to the realization and fans have come to the realization that, you know, doing this right now, even if you are aggrieved, doing it right now means nothing because, you know, the stakes are nothing. When the stakes get a little bit higher, whether it's the regular season or the Astros are trying to clinch the division or trying to clinch the best record in baseball or get back to the World Series like Al Tupi said they were going to do, I think fans will then fill their vitriol up again. So I think fans just wanted to let loose. Now they realize if they do it, it's sort of a waste of time because the stakes just aren't there to be so upset. But I certainly think it's coming back around soon enough. It's probably just in a hiatus or a small little break at the moment. Yeah, just looking at the schedule, Zubin, I'm surprised. that They play the Mets, but they host the Mets, and they don't go to face the Yankees until the second-last series of the season. Seems Right, like... and then you think about, obviously, everything tied in with the Yankees and the Strohs. So what I meant New York, oh. yes, I meant mostly uh, the Yankees, but you only will wait to see what kind of implications mm-hmm. that particular series might have. Yeah, indeed. Zubin, as always, great stuff. We will have brackets in front of us when we talk to you next week. Uh, I look forward to that already. Thank you, Zubin. You got it, guys. Take care. Yeah, good to talk to you, Zuba Mahente from ESPN. This is how quick he is, right? The the, the Dennis Dodd piece just gets posted mm-hmm. right out of the book. So, what's your opinion, Zubin? On he goes. He's got one. It's amazing. He's so good. Uh, we will take a time out. Come back. We'll finish up the program. Is tomorrow the final day that Iowa State will put on the uniforms? Yes. We're off tomorrow, so we won't get to preview it. What? Uh... What is that line going to come out? I know Ken Palm has it like at three, but that's... Yeah, Nixon and and Bolton did not practice yesterday. I would be surprised if they play. Six and a half, seven and a half. You know, well, we'll, we'll talk about it we on will. the other side. We'll come back, finish up the program. Miller and Condon until noon. By the way, speaking of baseball, as we were with Zubin right there, Colin Ray and Alzale both starting in Iowa. Yeah, you said that to me during a break and it... Kind of shocked me. I I thought Alzale had a chance at the five and Colin uh-huh. Ray. What more? I mean, he was the pitcher of the year in AAA last year. Was he fourteen? And is he just, crazy? Crazy? Is he a number. quadruple A pitcher? Is that how the Cubs look at him at? I thought there was going to be a good opportunity for him. Yeah, absolutely. We were both shocked he wasn't called up last year. Well, but... we'll get to experience Tyler Chatwood for a couple of starts, and then <laughs> no, one of those killing two. my guy Chatwood. <laughs> it's easy to kill. He stinks. We'll come back. Miller and Condon, fourteen sixty kicks and oh. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Hi, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. So if Bolton and Nixon are both out tomorrow... For the clones, they're in trouble. That would mean Young, Jacobson, Jackson, Caleb Grill would start. And Terrence and Lewis. Terrence, your guy's going to get, get the opportunity. He's going to go off for 28. And they win. In his final game in a Cyclone uniform. 
So they lose. They lose. He gets 28 and they lose. They if Terrence Luce gets 28, they're playing Kansas on Thursday. All right, all right. I'll buy what you're selling. He's uh, not getting 28. No, of course he's not getting 28. Um, I'd love to see them play Kansas on, yes. on Thursday. Uh, not because we think that they can win, just because we can extend it another day. I just, mm-hmm. I'm anxious to see tomorrow night when the, you know, the camera pa- um, pans the, um, the building. How, how many, you know, Cyclone fans? They love this tournament. They love this time of year. They take over Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Not this year. Not at the same level. No. No, not even close. I don't think. Now the good news is that the Big Ten and Big, uh, the Big Twelve, excuse me, plays the men's and women's at the same good time. Good point. Good point. Yes. We know how well attended mm-hmm. the women's games are. Mm-hmm. They're coming on the heels of beating Baylor. Yeah, mag- just a huge win. So Baylor's first loss in three years in, in the conference. Years. Pump bananas. I think it was like 58 consecutive Jeez. victories in Big 12 play. So you have that. People are going to go down there maybe anyway. And yeah, you know what? That's 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 fair. Now, a lot of them I don't think expected to be there Wednesday. And because of that, the attendance isn't going to be great. In general, it's not great on those Wednesday games, mm-hmm. regardless who is there. But... If they do win that game and they get to Kansas on Thursday, I think you'll see maybe a bigger contingent than you're anticipating for that matchup. Or, the or does the fan base collectively just want it to be over? Well, there's a portion certainly that's part of that, too. It's been frustrating. Ooh, I thought this was an NCAA tournament team we coming into the did. year. Both thought that uh, they had a really, you know, of the four local schools, the one mm-hmm. that has the best chance was Iowa State. Yeah, I thought they had the most talent, certainly on the roster. I thought the top-end talent was going to be there, and it wasn't just Halliburton. We both really like Bolton coming mm-hmm. into the year. What we saw a season ago out of Michael Jacobson, and he didn't progress and take that step forward well, this year. Well, his friends graduated. That That is a piece of it, too, and becoming a go-to guy that's just not the role for or Michael left Jacobson. early. Yeah, right. That happened, too. Now, Salman Young, I thought, had a nice year. No, I did, too. I'm with you. And he's got another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he absolutely took some steps forward this year. But but who else did? I mean, Condit would be the guy, and certainly some nights he... he yeah, but just not consistent. Nah, I agree as, with you. If he was a freshman, yeah, but as a sophomore... Right, I agree with need you. Need more consistency yep. out of him. Bolton, there was too much on his plate. Mm-hmm. Especially after the injury to Halliburton. There's too much there. He's not that kind of player. At least not yet. No, he certainly had his nights, and if he can't go because of the concussion tomorrow, and if Prentice Nixon's career is over, and boy, he's he's a boot. So I think it'd be a, a you know a surprise if he plays tomorrow. Well, fingers crossed that there is going to be a game on Thursday. Oklahoma State beat him by a dozen, something like that, yeah. thirteen, whatever it was, a couple of weekends ago. Do you have an opinion tonight in the West Coast Conference? Is there ACC? They're underway early this afternoon. Anything? Yeah, like move P- your gambling needle. I like Pitt. They're laying a point and a half against Wake Forest. That's one that I'm at least leaning towards. Does North Carolina play today? They do. That's crazy. Against Virginia Tech, they're a four-point favorite. How the mighty have fallen. They're playing in the opening round of the <laughs> ACC tournament. Yeah, I didn't see that coming. On a Tuesday Jeez. afternoon, they will be playing against Virginia Tech. What's your favorite tournament? Mine used to be the Big East. I mean, this year it's clearly the Big Ten. I loved the Big 12 because you know, Iowa State was such a big part of it over right. the last few years. What's if you could only go watch one? It's still Big East for me. Is it? Yes. And even though Syracuse yeah. isn't there and UConn's it's coming changed. back. It's changed, but there's something about MSG. I agree with you, Trent. It, it always moved my needle, but now, I mean, this year it's, I mean, it's the Big Ten, right? Start oh, yes, to finish. Yeah. Even even the more nights games got a little intrigue to them. And every year I love the MVC tournament, and mm-hmm. I love hearing the commentators, and then the national media gets yeah. into it, and there's something special about that one, having its own space early, especially here, at least on the yep. local front. 
I really like the way that one's done. That I went good. four years in a row and loved yeah. every minute of it. It was so much fun in St. Louis. Saturday night was great, too, with the Ohio Valley. That's another one that's carved okay. out a nice, nice niche with Belmont and Murray State. Mm-hmm. A couple of really nice, solid programs. There's all kinds of good ones. Uh, I'll be on ten- Saturday night watching the WAC championship game and probably gambling on it. You think? <laughs> uh, we will hear you at 8.15 or 8 o'clock tonight. Yeah, 8 o'clock. Take the airwaves. 8.15 tip with the number one seeded Ankeny Centennial Jaguars. And then tomorrow morning we're off the air. You have play-by-play. We'll be back on Thursday. Murph and Andy here at 2. The Fanatics at 4. Barnstormer Weekly begins tonight. Miller and Condon, thanks for being with us. 1460 KXNO 106.3 FM.